so let's get the slide going for everybody. Perfect. So this is our family here, our three kids. And here's a few more. It's pretty exciting to see little ones grow up so quickly. And our, my two oldest, the boys there, they look almost identical to my brother and I when we were growing up. <laughs> I should have like a comparison picture. <clears throat> so as Deb mentioned, growing up overseas in Indonesia, that was a huge turning point in my own life, being able to witness the life transformation that the gospel brings to people, being able to see firsthand the different rituals that these people would perform, different blood rituals, and I mean, I could give examples. I'm sure Dad has given you many examples. Things that really make your heart sick and your jaw just drop as to the lies that these people believed, the darkness that they lived in, the fear that grasped and controlled every aspect of their life. And seeing the faithfulness of my parents and my aunt and uncle just day in, day in, studying that language, wanting so badly to present the gospel to these people, but knowing they had to lay the groundwork first. They had to understand how the people thought. They had to know the culture. They had to know the language. And so waiting four years before they presented the gospel and then seeing the people respond to truth I remember just as a young kid being so challenged in thinking, man, they would, my uncle would translate a page of scripture that he was going to teach the next morning, and they would bring that page home with them, and they would sit by the fire at night and just read and read and memorize and go over and over of the, the scripture passage. They'd wake up before the sun was up. They'd run to my uncle's house, banging on the door, Stephanos, Stephanos, we want more of God's talk. Get back to work. Wake up. Eat. Come on. We got work to do. And so excited to hear more of God's word. And as a young boy, I'm thinking, I have the entire Bible in my language, and I don't have any desire to read it or know what God has said to me. And that was so challenging. And then slowly seeing the people come to faith in the gospel and seeing that life transformation take place from darkness to light, from fear to faith, and thinking to myself, wow, what an incredible privilege this would be to take part in this, what's going on, bringing the gospel to where it has never been before. God, use me. I I don't know what you have for me in the future, but I want to be involved. The Lord really used that experience, and I, I want to say thank you to this church and this congregation because you guys really have played a huge role in my own life and in supporting my parents since the mid to late 90s and still continually supporting them. And being behind our family in that, I want to say thank you so much and want you to know that you guys are, will be and are sharing in the blessing of what God is doing amongst the Moy people. And that is so encouraging. So last picture, I guess a few more here. These were actually, oops, skipped one. These pictures were taken like two weeks ago. My sister was in the tribe with her husband, Samuel Cook, and so they were doing a bit of a vision trip in Indonesia to see what field they would like to go to within Indonesia. (laughs) 
So this morning, I want to give you guys a missions challenge. And then after that challenge, I'll give you an Arctic presentation, what our future ministry is going to be looking like, and how you guys can be involved with us in that. Can I have my water, hon? Thank you so much. So for our missions challenge, I want to ask this question. What should be the mission of the church? Why are we here? What is our task? What is our purpose? What is our goal? And so if you guys want to turn to Matthew 26, and we'll look at a few passages in the life of Christ to answer this question. Matthew 26, verse 32. So the context of this verse, Christ had just finished the Last Supper with his disciples. He had just pointed out that Judas was going to be the one who was about to betray him. And previous to that, Christ had already foretold his death, and he foretold his burial. Now, how much of that the disciples understood, I think they didn't connect the dots yet at this point. So after the Last Supper, they're all probably really shooken up with them all being accused and like trying to defend themselves, like, Lord, we're not going to betray you. It's not going to be me. Judas being pointed out, and they're thinking, what is going on? And as they're walking out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus continues to talk to them, and he foretells his resurrection in Matthew 26, 32. He says, after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Another translation, after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. So this is an, an, an very interesting phrase he's tossing in there, one that I'm sure the disciples would have overlooked in the midst of the chaos of what is going on in the Mount of Olives. And so, moving on to the morning of his resurrection, Christ is is arrested, he's put to death, he's buried. Now turn to Matthew 28, verse 7. 28, verse 7. So this is the morning of his resurrection. Mary Magdalene and a few other women come to the tomb. And when they get there, an angel comes to them. And this is what the angel says. He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. So the angel gives these these women instructions. Go to Galilee, and there you're going to meet me. And go find the disciples and relay the same message to them, because I want them to also meet me in Galilee and remind them, I've already told them this before, meet me in Galilee. So the women, they, they understand that message from the angel, and so they go out trying to find the disciples. So a few verses later, Matthew twenty-eight ten, they're on their way trying to find the disciples. And then Jesus himself appears to them, as they're going and looking for the disciples, and gives the exact same message to the women as the angel had just given them. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So here we have the third time that they're being told 
to go to Galilee. So now a few more verses, Matthew 28, 16. It says, When the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So here we're given a bit more information that at some point, not recorded, but they have been told to go to a specific mountain, a specific location within Galilee. So there's three recorded events of go to Galilee, meet me there. There's probably a lot more discussion about that than what's actually recorded. So from these three different instances, we can clearly see that Jesus had something going on here. He had a plan in place. There was a purpose behind this continual threefold message of go and meet me in Galilee. So I picture as the disciples and the women and whoever else was joining them at that time on the mountain, they get there and they must be thinking, okay, what's going on? Why is there so much emphasis on meeting you in Galilee? Why is this a special place? What's going to happen? And so Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. What Jesus is about to say, he's making sure that they know that he has all authority. He has every right. He has all the power to say what he is about to say to them. The one who created the heavens and the earth. The one who had been given all authority by his father. What the words that he is about to say are of uttermost importance. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. The word for all nations here, you may know, is ethnos. And that's where our mission gets our name from. Go and make disciples of all ethnos, every ethnicity, every language, every tongue, every tribe, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. It does not just stop with preaching the gospel. But he's very clear. Continue. Teach these new believers everything I have commanded you. This is a process that takes years. Think of our own lives. How long has it taken us to understand scripture and the depth and the knowledge that we can learn? It takes so much time to disciple and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he says, I have been given all power, all authority to tell you to do this to preach the gospel to all people, to disciple all people. But I'm with you always. This is not something that is just our job and we have to buckle up and do it all our own. He is saying, no, you can't do it on your own, but I will go before you. I will empower you to present my message of salvation to all people. So this is the first emphasis that I want to share with you of the great commission that Jesus places on it. Three times, the Lord says, go to Galilee. He has a plan, a purpose in place, and he gives his disciples the great commission. The second emphasis, a second time when Christ puts a lot of emphasis on this. If you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Should get some sword drills going this morning. 
Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. So this passage here, these are the last words of Christ to his disciples before he returns to heaven. And I think of my own experiences whenever dad was about to go on a survey trip or he had meetings across the world, he was gone for a few weeks, he always chose his last words to us kids and to mom very wisely. And he, I remember he would always kneel down, get us close, and to make sure that we heard and we understood him. And now even I'm doing that with my own family before I go on a trip. I'm getting my family together. I'm choosing my last words before I leave them wisely and carefully. And so I think if this, Jesus knows this is going to be his last time on earth with his disciples, what is the most important thing that he could say to his disciples before he leaves? And the apostles are thinking the same thing. If this is our last time, what's important to us that we need to talk to Jesus about? So Acts 1, 6 to 8. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? This was something that we see throughout their story that this was very important to them. When is the kingdom going to be restored? And Jesus replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So he doesn't say that's not important, don't be thinking about that, but rather, it's not your time to know, the time has not come yet, because, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. His last words, right there, his last words on earth, was reinstating the Great Commission, reminding them of their purpose, reminding them of why the kingdom is not yet being restored. Because we are to tell people about him everywhere. Now, Jesus did share so many things with his disciples while he had time with them. And as we can see, after his death, their confusion as to what's going to happen, they were thinking, maybe this whole thing is done, and they went, they went back to fishing. Was this something that the disciples understood Did they see the severity? Did they conclude that, oh, this is a task that has been given to us that we are now responsible for? So to answer that question, you guys don't have to turn here, but in Acts 4.20, here we have a couple of the apostles. They are teaching a group of people. And a group of religious leaders come to Peter and John, and they say, stop teaching in the name of Jesus. Be done. Stop teaching. And the apostles' response was this. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? For them, preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus was a matter of obedience. For if they stopped teaching, for them it would be a matter of disobedience to their Lord. 
They said, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. We cannot. They understood the severity of the Great Commission. Another instance is in Acts 10, verse 42. Here, Peter is witnessing to a large group of unbelievers, and he is recounting some of the words of Jesus. Acts 10, 42. And Peter said, And he, that is Jesus, ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. Peter clearly understood that his obligation of the Great Commission was in order by his chief commanding officer, his Lord and Savior. He was ordered to preach everywhere. The disciples understood the severity of the Great Commission. It was clear to them. So then to circle back to our first question, what is the mission for us as a church, as a body of believers? Why are we here? What is our task? What is our job? What is our role? And it is Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Going back to the disciples' comment, of wondering, when will the kingdom be restored? And we know from Romans 11.25 that the kingdom will not be restored until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. We don't know what that number is, but we know as long as the Lord has not yet returned, his second coming has not yet come, our job, our mission, our role is not yet completed. We are to go and to tell everyone about Jesus. Many of you have probably heard this number. Around the world, there are 6,900 distinct ethnic groups. And you can break that number down really much, much farther. But 6,900. Of that number, there's still 2,500 who have never heard about Christ. Not only have they never heard but they have no way of hearing unless someone goes and tells them, learns their language, learns their culture, translates scripture, and teaches them. Our task is not yet complete. Now, as a church, we love to celebrate Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, his birth, death, and resurrection. Those are all key milestones of great importance to our faith. But each of those events are something that we love to celebrate, I think partly because those things cost Jesus everything. Christ counted the cost for us in his birth, his death, his resurrection. He counted the cost. But now, at Galilee, our Lord is commanding, he's ordering, he's inviting us Will we count the cost for his sake? And I want to remind you of 1 Corinthians 6.19. Every time I, I read this passage, it's very convicting. Just with It puts in perspective my days 
what I did this morning, what I'm going to plan on doing this morning, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. We are not our own. So then my question for us is, how can each and every one of us, as individuals and as a corporate body, as a church, how can we walk in obedience to our call to spread the gospel everywhere? <clears throat> and the first thing is through prayer. Prayer is something that we have all been commanded to do. We have been commanded to pray that the gospel will spread to the ends of the world. We have been commanded to pray for those who are proclaiming the message and for those who are hearing the message. So we can all walk in obedience to our call collectively by praying. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. The passage I was read this morning, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15. Romans 10, 14 to 15. Here Paul says, But how can they, that is the ethnos who have never heard, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent that is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news that last phrase there was something that was very impactful for me even growing up in the tribe that my dad would continually say to my brother and I as, as he's taken us through these crazy jungle trails up and down steep mountains as we're falling and getting cuts and bruises all over our feet. Leeches are just sucking us dry blood like from leeches, like, so, like a little gruesome. But he would encourage us like, don't give up because we are told how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. Look at your feet. Look how muddy and mangled and scraped up they are. These are beautiful feet because we are bringing the message of hope to these people. In order to, for our family to be there and telling the people, our family needed to be sent. We need people behind us. We need people alongside us. And that is what this church was. You guys were with us in that journey, sending us praying for us, encouraging us, financially supporting us so we could be there telling the good news. So from this passage, we see that there are two roles in bringing the gospel to where it has never been before. There are the goers and the senders. So let's talk about going. I've had people come up to me and say, 
Brant, what you guys are about to do, I'm so proud of you. I know it must be so hard, but what you're doing, I could never do it. I'm thankful you're going, but I could never do that. And I want to challenge all of you, please never say that. Please never think that. Because in a sense, it is true. It is something that we could never do because it is such an incredibly difficult, impossible task to do by ourselves. But we've been promised that it's not us alone. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Christ will be with us always. It is an excuse. Please don't say, I could never do that. Because God says, I will be with you. In order for us to go, don't think there's a special calling that one of you is going to have to get. For me, it was, I just saw the need. I saw so many dying and going to hell who had no chance of hearing. And that was a burden that I felt. And I looked at the American church hearing from dad how few people were going. And I just thought, if there's a need, then why not me? Maybe some of you feel that burden to consider going. All it takes to go is faith. Faith. In three different aspects I want to talk about. The first is a faithful obedience to the Lord. This is something that we have all been called to do. And so are you willing to faithfully obey by going? It also, faith requires a faithful reliance on the Lord. Again, recognizing that this task is indeed impossible. And I do indeed need to be fully committed and relying on Christ. I hear a lot of stories of missionaries who they, they get to the field. Life is busy. It's hard. It's, okay, I'm focused on ministry and doing things for God. And they forget about their relationship with the Lord. They forget to come to him and rely on him for their strength, for their sustenance. And that is so easy for us to do here as well. A faithful reliance on the Lord. And thirdly, to go requires a faithful willingness to count the cost. Christ has already counted the cost for us. He is calling us. Would you count the cost for Christ? A faithful willingness to count the cost. Will you go? How about the senders? We can't all go. There has to be some who stay to send. Again, prayer. Sending people prayer is so powerful. I remember different times, different situations in the tribe where mom and dad would send out so many letters. They'd be on the radio. I guess like this. It's not like this. They'd be on the radio calling to families on the field, calling back to churches, asking people to pray for this scenario. And the Lord would answer those prayers in miraculous ways. God answers our prayer. We can send people by being an encouragement. I remember the airplane would fly in, or a helicopter, but the first it was, airplane was cheaper. They would drop like care packages out of the plane, whether it be like a big bag of rice, flour, sugar, or packages from people back home. And so dad would be there on a, with a piece of paper watching the plane, and every time a package would fall, he'd try and write on the map like where, estimate where it would land, and we would be out for hours looking for these sacks of sugar. And so I remember one like hit a tree and just exploded. Our sugar was everywhere. I was so sad, not the sugar. 
<laughs> but when we found the package with the care packages from people from here back home, it meant so much to us. It was so exciting to read the letters of encouragement, to get that Canadian candy, and it really meant a lot to us. Can we send people by being an encouragement? How about giving financially? Are we willing to count the cost in financially supporting somebody, knowing that, man, this thing would be really nice, even a necessity for our family, but what are ways that we collectively can count the cost in being comfortable in our Canadian lives to send some extra money to support the ministry of those who are on the field? I also don't want you to think that Going is somehow more spiritual and more difficult than those who are sending. I do believe that being a good sender also requires an equal amount of faith. Again, those three aspects still apply. A faithful obedience, a faithful reliance on the Lord, and a faithful willingness to count the cost to be a sender. So this morning, I want us to be encouraged. Yes, the task that we look ahead of us is huge. It's daunting, still 2,500. Some people break that down and say there's actually 6,000. But just Ethnos, one mission organization of so many out there, but on average, every 90 days, the gospel is presented for the first time to a new people group who has never heard. Every 90 days. That is exciting. That is encouraging. So I want to ask, are we, individually as a church, are we willing to count the cost? Is he worth it? Is he worth it? Are you willing to pick up your cross daily, die to self, and live for Christ? Something we've been called to do every day. Die to self live for Christ? Are we willing to do that? And I can say that I am 100 convinced by the authority of Scripture that he is worthy. He is worth it. Every ounce of sacrifice that I can make for him, I know is worth it. And I know he will reward that sacrifice so generously. Generously. 